This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, it's a heavy-duty topic I'm talking about today, anger in your life and in my life, anger in your family and my family, anger where you work, anger at school, anger in every facet of life. So I'm going to start with something light written by Ogden Nash. Some of you have read his stuff before. He wrote this little rhyme, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Now, some of you didn't hear that. I can tell that you didn't hear it. I'm going to read it again. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. And whenever you're right, shut up. It's easy to kill a marriage or friendship with anger. Now, that's not my words, but someone else, Ray Pritchard. It's easy to kill a marriage or friendship with unkind words and anger. How many times, he said, have we said something in anger only to regret it a thousand times later? A thousand times later. I admit to you that I have never seen the television show years ago, Little House on the Prairie. Does anybody remember it? It's from a long time ago, a long time ago. Mark Adams from Rockville, Maryland says, this week, and this was a few years ago, I read of an incident in the life of Allison Arngrim. I had no idea who that person was. She was the actress who portrayed Nellie Olson on The Little House on the Prairie. As everyone of a certain age will remember, Nellie was a horrible child who tortured the sweet Laura Ingalls in every episode. Allison is still acting, but Nellie Olson is never too far in the background. This is an unbelievable example about anger, how anger can impact people. She was at an event where she was signing autographs as an actress, and people came up, they waited their turn, and there were security guards there, and people were getting her autograph. Allison looked up after a woman in her 40s made it to the front of the line, She smiled, reached for something to sign, but the woman had nothing to sign. She merely stood in front of the table and turned different shades of red and purple. She was shaking. Her eyes were closed. She was swallowing as she tried to compose herself. Allison and her husband grew increasingly uncomfortable and were close to calling for security for help when the angry woman broke the silence with three labored words. I forgive you. I forgive you. She was still angry for what the actress, not the person, but the actress, Nellie Olson, did to Laura Ingalls in a TV show some 30 years earlier. In all these decades, she hung on to that anger and hostility. And you said, that's crazy. It is. But it's also very true. What anger have you held on to in your life for 10 and 20 and 30 years? Mark Adams goes on to say this, as you know, many times our angry disposition 
isn't turned out on others. Instead, it's turned inward. Dr. Paul Meyer, who was the co-founder of the Minareth Meyer Clinics years ago, said anger turned inward. He believed was responsible for 95% of psychological depression. So if you suffer from depression, the point was there's a good chance that anger is behind it. Anger is behind it. We're going to talk about the subject of anger today and next week from the book of James, where practical things are said about anger in your life and in my life. You know, anger is never totally eliminated. You'll never get rid of anger in your life. But it can come under the control of the Lordship of Christ, just like a lot of other things in your life. It really can. And we're going to talk about it. I'm going to use a story at the end of the message that's so heavy that I had to just tone it down. I had to edit it. I just couldn't share how strong and yet how true the man's report was about what anger did in his life. We're in the book of James. We're in the first chapter. We're in verse 19, just three verses today, and we'll continue with the the verses after next week. Verse 19 says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Listen to that again, because it's the key verse. For man or woman's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Why did James mention moral filth and evil in connection with anger? It's connected. We'll talk about that primarily next week, but that's why James mentions those things in verse 21 about verse 20. Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. What's it mean to be slow to speak and quick to listen? It means just the opposite of how you are and how I am. Let me say that again. To be slow to speak and quick to listen is just the opposite of how most people are in 2020. We are quick to become angry, and we're slow to listen. And why James says that we need to get a handle on our anger is all connected with verse 20. We're going to spend most of our time talking about that. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Richard Walters was a psychiatrist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He wrote some strong stuff about what anger does. He says, people will be murdered today because of someone's anger. People will be murdered today because of someone's anger. Others will die from physical ailments resulting from or aggravated by their angry feelings. People die in anger-related auto accidents. I never heard that term. Anger-related auto accidents, while others carry out the angriest act of all, suicide. Countless relationships die little by little as resentment gnaws away the foundations of love and trust. Anger is a devastating force, and its consequences should sicken us. No wonder that the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 17, an angry person does foolish things. 
A few chapters later, it says a hot-tempered man or woman commits many sins. And then Mark Adams says this, how many of you have ever done something stupid, dangerous, immoral, or just downright crazy because you didn't control your anger? I want to give you three things to write down. They won't come up on the screen. But these three things you need to write down about anger in your life. Anger agitates. Anger alienates. And anger humiliates. Those are three things that anger does in your life. I want to give you three things to write down. They won't come up on the screen. But these three things you need to write down about anger in your life. Anger agitates. Anger alienates. And anger humiliates. Those are three things that anger does in your life and in my life with other people. Anger agitates. What what does that mean? Well, it can make someone else angry. It makes a situation worse. How many of you have gotten angry because somebody got angry at you? Someone got angry with you, and therefore you got angry and you blew up. But human anger can alienate. It can cause someone to withdraw. You can lose a friendship by becoming angry. Every person can think of someone in their life where there's a strained relationship that goes back 10, 15, 20 or more years because there was an alienation that took place because of anger. And my guess is there's somebody in your life that you don't speak to now in 2020 because of what happened in 2010 or 2005 or 2000. Anger alienates. It causes people to withdraw. We lose friendships because of anger. The third thing, anger can humiliate. I misread this when I thought, oh, I said, oh yeah, that means that we humiliate the people we're angry at. No, I'm not talking about that. It humiliates the person expressing the anger. Did you catch what I said there? We think, well, when you say anger humiliates, it humiliates the recipient. No, it it humiliates the dispenser of the anger it can, or both. Anger that's driven by human emotions rooted in selfishness does not accomplish the righteous life that God desires. It doesn't accomplish what God wants in your life. I want to talk about anger in a way that I've never talked about before. Never. Never. You know what it is? Church anger. I think I'm old enough now that I can talk about this. The anger that goes on in churches, and churches suffer from anger. Doug Dorch is a minister who's been in the ministry over 40 years. And he says, my background in the church over the last 40 years has taught me something. That sadly, church too often is a place where some people go to nurture their harsh feelings and cultivate their angry attitudes. They go to church to feed it. Never heard anybody say that. They go to church to nurture their angry feelings toward other people. And he said, as healthy and as emotionally balanced as the church where I serve now, a Baptist church, he said, I dare say there's not a single person present this morning at his church who has not experienced some measure of hurt feelings or deep discouragement over some congregational incident of some sort in the past. 
No church is immune from provocations and irritations. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I'm going to say one of the strongest things I've ever said about anger, and it's this. If my anger and your anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, then somebody whisper to me, because don't say it out loud, what it brings about. It brings about the life that Satan desires. You ever talked about a conversation and you said, I sensed the Holy Spirit was in that conversation. But nobody ever says, I sensed Satan was in that conversation. May I tell you where Satan is in a conversation? Where there's full-blooded anger going on. May I tell you where Satan is in a conversation where there's full-blooded anger going on and rage and wrath. You can probably say with authority, Satan was involved in that conversation. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Tim Schnabel was one of my best friends in Atlanta. He was a Christian psychologist, a pilot. He had a plane, so I loved to go flying with him. But One day I asked him about this sermon. I said, Tim, why do more people request a sermon about anger than any other sermon I've given in 37 years on the radio? And without even a moment's hesitation, some of you have heard me tell this. He said, Randy, everybody's a victim of somebody's anger, but we're also victim makers. We're both. And I thought, man, that says it all. We're victims and we're victimizers, victim makers. And so maybe that speaks to you an additional way of who we need to work on. What we've done, what we've received, but also what we have given. Most anger is self-centered. Write that down in your notes. If you don't, write it down in your heart. Most anger is self-centered. People didn't jump when we said jump. We didn't get what we wanted. People didn't do everything we said to do. And therefore, most anger is self-centered. And most people don't realize that. Anger is self-centered. And one of the most righteous moments in a man or woman, young person's life, is to look at their anger and say, is this self-centered in my life, what I'm saying, what I'm doing? I'm going to wrap up, and you think, why are you wrapping up now? It's a long story I'm going to share with you. Well, long story. It's so long I couldn't really use it in the sermon. But it illustrates in part one today the power of anger. It's told by Alan Langham. He's an author of the book, Taming of the Villain, A Message of Hope. Taming of the Villain, A Message of Hope. One of the most violent, most angry people I've ever read a story about. You've got to understand he was abused as a child physically in other ways by different men in his life, and he's full of rage and anger. He said after a number of crimes, he ended up in Belmarsh, a top security prison in southeast London. I hated who I had become. With my violent outburst and paranoid behavior, I pushed away anyone I ever cared for. Did you get that? I pushed anyone away I ever cared for and put my family through hell. I said that. I put my family through hell. 
I was emotionally, mentally, and spiritually broken. Outwardly, I sought respect by lashing out against anyone or anything that was in my way. He was in this prison. He was desperate. He needed to change his life, and he knew it. And I'm going to tell you a story that he tells that some of you are not going to believe. You say, that's too off the charts for me, but I tend to believe that it's possible it happened to him. He said, I finally hit rock bottom in this prison, this maximum security prison. I tried to commit suicide. With tears streaming down my face, I dropped to my knees and made one final plea to God in this concrete floor room. God, if you're real, God, if you can hear me, put a white dove outside my prison window. He had a little window in the top of the room. And he said, put a dove there so I know that you're real. Now, that sounds crazy to some of you, perhaps. Listen, let him finish his story. Show me you're with me. He said, at the time, I had no concept of a dove being the symbol of the Holy Spirit. He said, I didn't know that with his biblical ignorance. I was only looking for some sign of hope and new beginnings. The next morning, when a flock of pigeons lifted off a nearby ledge, I saw a dove left alone sitting there. Flock of pigeons were on the ledge. They took off, and there was a dove left there. He said, I was looking for a hope. I was looking for a new beginning. Something inside me jumped, and tears of joy replaced tears of despair. Now listen to this. This is pretty strong stuff, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. After transferring to another prison, I began praying and studying the Bible in earnest. Reading Joyce Meyer's book, Battlefield of the Mind, I stumbled across a chapter where Joyce Meyer describes taking the the abuse she suffered, the sexual abuse she suffered at the hands of her father, rolling it into a ball, and laying it at the feet of Jesus. Alan says, I decided to do the same thing with my rage. I decided to do the same thing with my rage. He said, before going to sleep, I closed my eyes. Imagine Jesus Christ on the cross, balled up my rage, hostility, and anger, and surrendered it to him. When I awoke, I felt a peace like never before. God, in his patience, used this broken vessel called my life for his purpose. Now, come with me. I'm just editing like crazy as I'm reading this. He's now speaking in prisons. At first, he was making terrible mistakes, counseling people. He was, you know, actually saying the wrong things, but people mentored him and helped him and led him. And now he speaks to groups of men and women who were in prison. And it's just incredible what the Lord has done in his life. This guy who was full of rage and anger and hostility, and the Lord worked in his life. And he said, miraculously, God even gave me my family back. It's taken years, but one by one, he has repaired broken relationships with my sisters and their families, my three children, and with the father who deserted us a long time ago. The refining process has been long and hard, but bit by bit, it is polishing me into a trophy of God's grace. Now, here's my point in telling. Why would you share such an ugly story, Randy, for this reason? 
Anger ruined his life. Anger destroyed his life. And he would be the first to admit it of the rage disorder. And you can come up with all kinds of psychological terminology, you know, intermittent rage disorder, this or that. It doesn't matter. The miracle is that God worked in his life. And God, through that moment of showing a dove, a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God, in answer to his prayer. I'm not saying you're going to have a semi-miraculous event in your life, but I will tell you this, things will start happening when you start surrendering your anger to the Lord. I really believe that. Because if it doesn't happen, then God's a liar. We commit everything to the foot of the cross. You bring your sin, you bring your past, you bring your present, and yes, you bring your anger and your hostility to the foot of the cross, and God does something. Well, if you're honest, I know this message has resonated in your heart and spirit. Why? Because we all are victims of someone else's anger, or we're victimizers, we're victim makers. Part two of this message next week on Crossover. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries, Incorporated.